knowing what you believe and why you believe it lies at the very heart of Christian experience, worship, and everyday living. The Bible's not about you. You're not David. Trouble in life is not Goliath. Jesus is going to be David in the shadow. Goliath is going to be sin and death. Who's that make you? Uh, and it doesn't make you the Israelites in the corner going, he's going to kill all of us. That's exactly who you are. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I, with body and soul, life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Gospel is that God the Son freely agreed to die our death for us, to suffer our deserved condemnation and doom in our place. And he didn't just agree from eternity to do it, he actually did it. It is fatal, fatal for us to think that we can ever move on from the gospel. The great problem in the evangelical church today where the scripture is concerned, there's not the inerrancy of the Bible. The great problem in the evangelical church today is the sufficiency of scripture. We don't think it's sufficient to do what we have to do. So we have to wake up what's happening and recognize that the problem really is our lack of theology. Hi and welcome to Theology Gals. I'm Colleen Sharp and my co-host is Ashley Glasick. And you know, Ashley, one thing that you and I talk about a lot through the week is some of the crazy things we see on social media. Yep, it's crazy. It's just a crazy world out there. One thing I'm noticing this week is um you know the you know the phrase simper reformanda yep people don't really use that right like like i'll notice like whenever someone is talking about like a change like a church a church kind of like moved in a different direction or something they'll be like oh simper reformanda or like, oh, the church reformed. And it's like, hey, that, that's not quite what that expression means. Have you seen that? I I have seen that, or I've seen it kind of like, um, they use it like, you need to agree more with me. So some for reformanda, you need to um, keep reforming. Yeah, and I, I think reforming doesn't mean change for the sake of change. It means, like, like what, if someone were to tell me, oh, our church is in the process of reforming, I've heard people say that before. In my mind, I'm thinking, oh, you guys are moving closer to the reform confessions and what those confess. Right. Not Becoming a reformed charismatic is not necessarily like, I mean, I'm just, that's just the example that came to my head. Right. Um, or it's not necessarily reforming. Yeah, or, I mean, I guess it could officially be a form of reforming, but right, it's just not what it means. If we're using the the word reformed historically, it's it's not what it means. And so right. when people are people are like, well, we've improved. We're improving upon the reformed confessions. We're we're inventing like new ways to do this or right. that. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like we're not we're not fully following the regulative principle of worship anymore, or yeah. something like that. We're moving away from the regular principle. We're reforming. I'm like, no, that's not reforming. Yeah. <laughs> Re reforming is moving towards the regular principle. So um, it just, it makes me giggle. It's one of those things where it's such a small thing. I would probably not ever correct someone on, but I yeah. just saw it a couple times this week. <laughs> well, you know, um, 
sometimes I see things that there was a discussion in in our group about the Sabbath, and it reminded me how much we need to do an episode on the Sabbath and have a totally. possible special guest I'd like to have on for that mm-hmm. episode. Um, but where I'll see the typical verses that are used to argue against still holding to the Sabbath um, or the Jesus is our Sabbath rest. So therefore I don't have to honor the Sabbath any longer or see things like that, that are just where Mm -hmm. we would go. Oh yeah, that's not really, or verses about, uh, what is the passage that they used? I don't have it in I front of me. I I'm, I'm going to pull this to 16. Okay. So what does that say? Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you on you in question of food and drink, food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Right. It's used a lot, but it's, it's not, it's, it's not, not in the context. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And so I think, I think it's a good um, reminder that often we can hear certain things used and then start using them ourselves and haven't stepped back and taken time to say, okay, what is that passage really talking mm-hmm. about? Um, and this is why I think we need to do a whole episode on the Sabbath because it's not, it's not just based on one verse, uh, why we still follow the Sabbath, but Mm-hmm. There, there's a lot, a lot to it, and it has to do with our whole entire systematic theology. Yeah. So, so that's definitely um, an yeah, episode we'll, that will be we'll coming to, up. That was a little tidbit. That was a little, yeah. little uh, preview of of what's to come when we do that's right. this Sabbath episode. So that's, if you if you if you disagree with us, uh, please stay tuned. We'll, we'll do a full a full episode on it. Right, but if you disagree with us, you might not actually know all the reasons why we still yeah. believe. Well, I'll tell you what, when I heard that Christians were following the Sabbath, I thought that was the craziest thing I'd ever heard. I was <laughs> 24 when I heard that for the first time. I'd never heard of it. Growing, I've gone to church for most of my life and never heard of it. And so I think just the fact that the mass – I mean, mass amounts of evangelicals have never heard of it. Makes it sound even crazier. Right. Like, if we're all supposed to be doing this, how come like 99% of Christians I know are not doing this? <laughs> you know, so. And uh, yet, and yet there's still places where they have blue laws. And for those mm-hmm. who don't know, but those were, those were laws against, you know, business and recreation for the Sabbath in different parts of the country. I mean, in Colorado, you still cannot sell a car on Sunday. And only Hmm. recently could you buy alcohol on Sundays. And then some parts of the country even have more blue laws still in place than other parts. Yeah. So living in California, we don't really do any of that. (laughs) (laughs) Just kind of, we're just as, as pagan as we we can get um no i'm joking but a little bit (laughs) a little bit joking i remember someone came into i was working at starbucks and someone came in and there was a grocery store in our parking lot and they said hey do you know what time the grocery store stopped selling alcohol and i was like i don't know whenever they close like Uh you know 
and I was like, where are you from? And he said like Wisconsin or something. I was like, do they stop selling alcohol at certain times? He's like, yeah. He's like, they don't do that here. And I was like, I've never heard of that. <laughs> so in California, you know, it's just a little different than the rest yeah. of the country. <laughs> we have, we have really interesting uh, alcohol laws and they're starting to change. Like, so they did change. So you can now buy alcohol on Sunday, but they also have like right now, only one Costco in the whole state can sell alcohol and our, our Kroger wow. grocery store, only one in the whole state. And then they're, they're going to slowly evolve into that being different, but they don't also don't want to force out all the mom and pop shops, but you actually can't sell alcohol. So most grocery stores do not have alcohol or they, okay. So they do have alcohol, but it's only like, um, you know, a very low alcohol content alcohol. So like Coors and Bud Light and Mike's hard lemonade or something like that. They, okay. there's really strict rules and cooking wine. So it's, hmm. um, yeah, there's a, there's a even do you know there's even some places that some counties or towns where they don't sell alcohol at all still yeah like dry counties yeah um i know that the jack daniels jack daniels has some sort of distillery or something and it's in a dry county so they're they're able to like produce things there but they can't sell them which That's is so funny to me like why don't why wouldn't they just put the Jack Daniels <laughs> distillery in not a dry county, but there's probably some history there. I don't know. Yeah. Well, so. we have gotten some great feedback from last week's episode with Rachel Miller. And I know several people said to me, why do I have to wait a whole week to listen to part two? I can't wait for part two. And I'm, I'm glad that we could split it up into two parts. I know some mm -hmm. people wish we would have just done an extra long episode, but I think I think it's good to split it up like this. I think there's a lot of great information on on both parts of this episode. So mm -hmm. we're going to play part two of our episode on patriarchy with Rachel Miller. I did want to announce for those gals that are in the group. Sorry, this is only for gals and it's only if you're in our group. We do have a designated post for discussion on this episode and Rachel is part of it. So if you have any question for her then and you're in the group, you can actually ask it there because she joined our group this week. So that was kind of fun. Oh, I just heard the kid. I just heard our official cat of yeah. the Theology yeah. Gals podcast. <laughs> mm -hmm. She has New to make, she has to like come and make herself known at least once every episode, mm -hmm. which yep. we're glad about that so well we'll go to part two and then we'll come and then we'll be back at the end for yeah about that one thing that i've been thinking a lot about is how some of these ideas have maybe um seeped into to our circles maybe not based not with a patriarchy foundation but some of these ideas that i think actually the one that we talked about with the women needing to submit to their fathers is one, mm -hmm. but are there others that you see? There's certainly a lot of uh, what is taught under, you know, biblical manhood and womanhood within conservative groups uh, has been influenced by uh, some of these patriarchal ideas. 
about what it means to be a woman, what it means to be a man. Um, for example, you know, the, the idea that, you know, men are providers, initiators, leaders, women are quiet, submissive, right? Um, when you look at, when you look at the Bible, you see examples of women who initiated, right? You know, Ruth initiated the relationship with Boaz. You have uh, Abigail acting on her own initiative to protect her family from David um, because of her husband's incompetence. You have, um, you know, Deborah. You have all these examples of women doing things that we say we're told by the description of what women are that they shouldn't do or they can't do. And then you have men who are, um, you know, Jesus describes himself as gentle, right? Gentleness is a fruit of the spirit. You have um, the quiet nature of our hearts. You know, these are things that are held up to be for, for all believers. Um, even submission. Submission is a very human characteristic. You know, we, all humans, all, everybody submits to God. Christians submit to the church, uh, to Christ. Um, we submit to our government leaders. We submit to our employers. You know, children submit to their parents. I mean, it is part of life based on all these relationships where we have submission. Um, so that these ideas have um, kind of snuck in. So, you know, like you said about what you've been told about Deborah, right? These ideas become part of what we're taught. They're just part of our culture around us. And a lot of it, in my opinion, started because uh, conservative churches were concerned about the sexual revolution. They were concerned about um, the push of second wave feminism and um, egalitarianism. And, and so they, they have overreacted uh, and looked for a way of, of you know, creating hedges and protecting against those ideas. Um, and, in, and in the process, I think they've gone too far. The other place that you see it, um, a lot of the resources uh, in Christian schools, classical schools, uh, homeschooling, a lot of those resources are have been um, been touched by patriarchy. They're either coming out of patriarchy, patriarchal groups, or from groups that are connected. Uh, so a lot of those ideas get passed on through then the resources that we're bringing into our homes. Yeah. And I think that's true, especially in a lot of the homeschooling, mm -hmm. the homeschooling stuff that we see out there. Yes. Yeah. Sadly. I would imagine it's good to do research. Like if you're buying curriculum from, mm -hmm. you know, it's probably good to do research on the, you know, ministry or whatever you're buying the curriculum from because yes. <laughs> you don't want to uh, be bringing that in without, without realizing it. Um, Cause it, it is very subtle. I think it is. Um, especially when it's just bits and parts of it. It's not the whole like structure, mm -hmm. as you mentioned. Um, Cause there's things where I've been taught and I have to go back and go, why do I, why do I think that? Like, where did I learn that? Mm -hmm. You know, what does scripture actually say? And it's, it's hard to parse that out. It is. Um, one of the things I think would be important is um, how patriarchy affects marriage. We've we've kind of mm -hmm. touched on that already. Um, what what are the damages? I guess this can have on on marriage. 
Um, fundamentally, I believe that uh, because of the, what patriarchy believes about men and women, it creates an, an inherently antagonistic relationship uh, between men and women, husbands and wives. Um, women are described uh, as being um, like Eve, rebellious, right? You know, Eve, the idea being that Eve um, uh, rebelled against Adam's authority. Adam was passive and let her. And so then, you know, they interpret Genesis 3.16 to say that um, women are by nature uh, rebellious and wanting to usurp authority. And so husbands need to put down that rebellion. And so when you have that idea that women are rebellious, that they're prone to deception, that they are um, going to try to trip you up, then you can't have a relationship, uh, a trusting marriage. You can't have, you know, you have men say, well, I, I think you're saying something right, but I don't know if I can trust you, right? Like, mm -hmm. how, how do you have that kind of relationship with your husband if yeah. you know, he can't trust any advice that you give him or anything that you say? Um, if he looks at you with suspicion that you know, you're going to try to take things over and he needs to make sure that doesn't happen, you know, that's, it's inherently a system of, of, uh, distrust and of uh, um, conflict, you know. Mm -hmm. um, one of the other ideas uh, I mentioned about, you know, husband being the priest in the home. Um, he stands kind of as a mediator between God and his family. Um, they, they take the passage from Ephesians 5 about how Christ washes the bride with the word and sanctifies, right? as mm -hmm. what they should do. So then husbands should sanctify their wives. And I think you know, that only God can do that. You know, we, we should, of course, you know, work um, in, in our relationships, in our close relationships. We are going, of course, be used. Um, God uses us in, in sanctifying each other. But um, husbands are not called to be priests in that way. That's not something that they can do. They're not Christ. They're not the spirit. Um, but then, in, in the patriarchal system, not only husbands are told that, but wives are told that they are to be quiet and submissive and not correct their husbands, but leave that to God. And even um, in harsh treatment or abuse, that you know, quiet and submissive is the answer, right? So it, it creates this, this great inequality of how husbands and wives are supposed to treat each other and work with each other and it, it's not the the partnership of uh, that you see in scripture it's not the description of um of of eve or the the wife being the helpmate the one who is suitable right the the what adam needed right it, if we can't trust each other if we don't um, we don't both work together towards um, serving God and how we can help each other do that better, then it's not really marriage as God intended it. It's something else. Hmm. You know what? This actually brings up another good point. It, when you were talking about Eve being deceived, and mm -hmm. that is this idea that women are more easily deceived. And I've even seen this, for instance, um, a, a woman said 
to um, a group of women, my husband and I disagree about this thing. And one of these women who's been influenced by patriarchy was grew up in it, was in that sort of church, pretty much said, so, well, if, you know, the woman said, I think this and my husband thinks this, and it was, it, it wasn't even, it was not something like, I think we should get this stove and my husband thinks we should get this one, or I think we should spend this money. It wasn't even like a family thing. It was just um, a belief on something, you know, an idea. Mm -hmm. And this other woman said, well, if that's what your husband thinks, then the discussion is over. And this idea that you, you need to just agree with your husband. But I think that even comes out of this idea that women are more easily deceived and mm -hmm. therefore men are more, apt to be right. Hmm. Yeah. Um, the problem with, with taking it from that approach, you know, um, Paul does say in the New Testament that Eve was deceived, right? Um, and Adam wasn't. But if you say that, if you apply it then that all women are more prone to deception, then you would have to apply too that then all men are more prone to open rebellion to God. So there's not a good way. It's it's not a good place to start as a you know this is what women are like because Eve did this and this is what men are like because Adam did that. Um, in another place, Paul uses Eve as an example for all Christians and says, uh, "Don't uh, don't be deceived like Eve was." Right when when Paul says. Yeah, that there are weak women who are falling prey. He uses weak women because it's not just all women are weak and therefore falling prey to this deception, but there are particular women who were. So the, the, the implication is don't be like that, right? Mm -hmm. But not that all women are just like that, right? He, there is, it's, it's too far. People are taking it too far. Um, and the examples in scripture, there are a number of examples in scripture of women who were more um, more theologically sound or they were they had more insight than the men around them about what was going on. Um, Hannah with her husband, um, even with like the, the Shunammite woman who tells her husband that they need to make make a place for Elisha to stay. And when her son gets sick, she's the one controlling all the actions. She's the one who sends for Elisha, you know, all of this and everyone obeys her. Um, uh, Abigail is a great example. She, she had great insight as to what was going to happen and how to take care of her family. And she didn't obey her husband on it. She didn't do what he wanted. You know, it is unnecessarily limiting of women to say that that is what women are like, just because Eve was deceived, then all women are easily deceived. You know, mm -hmm. it, it's just unnecessary. Well, and we see so many examples around us too. I mean, if to take that as a black and white, that mm -hmm. all women are this and all men are this is, mm -hmm. I mean, we, we have, we have women in our group where, you know, their husband is embracing heresy. You know, and the and the wife yes. is is seeking sound theology, yes. and we can see both in scripture, but even just around us, we can see that that is not not yeah. a black and white life 
thing that we see. Right. Exactly. Um, and I, I think another issue too is, you know, there's a lot of talk and like, especially a lot of the books directed at women, mm-hmm. you know, are about submission and some of it's very helpful. Some of it's not because we, I mean, we do think submission to husbands is a, is a biblical yes. thing. Yes. And yet there's the taking it too far. And when mm-hmm. one woman in our group mentioned the abuse, mm-hmm. whether it's verbal or physical abuse that can kind of c- come into these homes yes. where the man is ruling with an iron fist and women don't even think they can seek help because they think I just have to submit. Um, and that's just a, that's such a scary place to be in. Um, yeah. I actually, I was going to, I had meant to say earlier when you're talking about the damage in marriages mm-hmm. and you were even talking about these wives that are, think they have to be quiet even about abuse and I, I have seen that, I mean, mm-hmm. just in our homeschool circles and where there was women within patriarchy, they looked like great families um, that really had it all together. But behind closed doors, there was abuse going on. And in a few of these situations, it eventually there was divorce yes. because it does. It's, when that continues, on, it can't continue on indefinitely if it gets to a place of abuse. Right. Hmm. Um it's there's a there's a big difference between um, the appropriate submission in a marriage and submitting to abuse and mm-hmm. submitting to um, the patriarchal ideas. Right? Yeah. Not everyone who is patriarchal is abusing their wives. Right? It, it's it doesn't happen like all the time. Patriarchal systems attract people who are abusive because they see it as a way to continue controlling or to, to have um, uh, support for the kind of control they want to have over their family and over their wives. Mm-hmm. And you know, it provides cover for what they're doing. So the, the difference being in a loving Christian marriage, a husband in in leading is acting in the kind of leadership that the scripture describes, which is not a leadership of lording it over someone else, but in service and in humility and caring for the needs of others. So if, if your husband is a believer and he is leading, but he's doing it by serving, right. And you then are submitting to him, not because I'm a woman, therefore I I must submit. That's what I am but because it is a voluntary submission, right? A, um, there is a, um, an author, Stephen Tracy, that talks about it as um, a, voluntary, a voluntary yielding to another out of love, right? That you're each putting the needs of the other first, you're each caring for each other, right? And it's not about well, who's in control and who's going to make the final decision, but it's about, you know, the order in the family and, and taking care of each other. It's very different from um, the patriarchal system and it's not at all a system of abuse. Can, can we just throw in here real quick? I just want to say this. If you are a woman out there and you are being abused and you're not sure what to do, please 
please feel free to reach out to me and I will connect you with someone to help you because I know that we have women out there and that is not something you have to submit to. No. You do not have to submit to being abused. Has this influenced our reformed circles? I mean, are we finding this in reformed churches? And I guess reformed is kind of broad because we have everything. I, and I guess I, I'm not including um, some of the small denominations that aren't part of NAPARC, mm -hmm. but, you know, PCA, OPC, URC, you know, the, those circles, because we know it has influenced some of these, I, I, I don't know if they're <laughs> really reformed, but some of these other <laughs> denominations that are kind of outside of that, yes. but within the ones that we belong to, has it influenced, has, have any of these ideas influenced our circles? Um, I believe that they have, uh, unfortunately. Uh, some of it happens because there are, and I'll, I'll put it in quotes, reformed authors that people uh, listen to and like and follow and their books and conferences and sermons and whatever um, are, are part of a lot of churches. They, they're influential in uh, men's groups, women's groups, sermon topics, book studies, whatever. Um, it's certainly there. Uh, it's also coming in through homeschooling. It's coming in through um, the private and classical schooling uh, as well. So yes, it's it's absolutely part of Napark churches, not as a system, but as part of uh, some people's experience, some churches around. Hmm. I would say it's there. Yeah, it's kind of sad because, you know, we kind of celebrate the Reformed tradition um, and, you know, the churches that have come out of that. It's kind of sad that it can attract um, a certain type of bad theology as well. Mm -hmm. um, just kind of unfortunate. So, so Rachel, I think that there's probably people who say, I hold to patriarchy and there's probably people that don't, right? Sure. Okay. So Absolutely. under, and we're not going to, you know, talk about every person who might have some of these views, but on those that say, this is the view that I hold to, who are some teachers um, or some big names in the movement that would fit into that? Uh, sure. I mean, one of the ones that has been very influential within homeschooling, um, the, the group is, is defunct now, but Vision Forum with Doug Phillips uh, was a big, big proponent. And the materials that he, he pushed through and supplied to home, through homeschooling have made a big uh, effect of, of teaching pa patriarchy. Um, he and um, R.C. Sproul Jr., wrote the tenets of biblical patriarchy to describe and define the movement. Um, so that's, that's certainly a connection, uh, a reformed connection. Um, uh, of course, Doug Wilson um, calls himself, defends patriarchy. Uh, so all of his extended um, you know, books, curriculum, you know, there's a lot of, uh, I guess his empire of things. Um, uh, Bodhi Bakum would be another who has used, uh, he, he calls himself patriarchy, defends the use of the word. Um, also very big and reformed. 
uh, Bill Gothard in the ATI organization. Um, that's what the Duggar family is part of. Um, probably Michael and Debbie Pearl in their books on um, parenting. This would be another big um, influential area of patriarchy. And those would be all ones that that have used the term or defended the term at some point. And it just in those names, there's differences. Absolutely. In those that say, hey, we hold to it. it there'd be differences among them and in, in how they're defining it. Correct. Um, there are differences, um, and certainly the differences into the extent of what they what they hold to. Um, uh, the Pearls, ATI, uh, Vision Forum would all be much, uh, much more, much more strict adherence uh, to patriarchy as a movement. This is something that I've really run into, but someone in the group said that she has that she has talked to men that deny or have a reluctance to accept the equal value, worth, and dignity of both men and women. Mm-hmm. And even this idea that that it's men that are made in the image of God, not, not women. Is this, I mean, I don't know if it, that's embraced by the people that we talked about, but is this, is that a patriarchy thing? You run into it. Yeah. Um, so it's not it, a tenant, but it's something that you might find with that. It's, I would say it's, it's an, a natural consequence of what they believe about the differences between men and women and how men and women um, are reflect the image of God differently. Um, so, yeah, I, yes, I have read it by patriarchal people about men are made in the image of God and women are, are, are derivative from that, um, that men reflect the image of God m- uh, more directly than women do. Um, and I think it's a, um, a result of what what they believe about men and women being so different, so that you know men have you know, leadership, like God has leadership, and um, it's 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 an interesting um, application of what of what they're saying, what they believe. And I I just have one more question, and mm-hmm. Ashley and I are going to actually be doing a whole episode on this, but I think we should at least mention it. it as it came up from a gal in the group is this idea that women shouldn't teach theology even to other women. I, I, my husband and I were at, at a church and went over to lunch um, at somebody's house. And this is, uh, I'll be honest, this is 20, Let's see, my son, who's about to turn 20, I was pregnant with him. So that tells you how long ago it was. And they had some very interesting uh, understanding, even of like Titus 2. Like Mm -hmm. they thought that women should never teach, that women were only to teach women through example, that women should not even teach other women is are these things within patriarchy? I mean, I'm sure the the thing that Ashley and I are going to do an episode of is because of this whole controversy recently about whether women can teach in a seminary. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, have you seen this where women aren't even supposed to teach other women? I have. Um, 
I have run across it. Um, I've, I've been told it uh, personally, but um, not from my own church or my own church situation, but from others. Um, they, they take a very limited view of Titus too, um, that when it says that women, are, what women are teaching, older women are teaching, is that it's only about um, homemaking or being good wives or loving their husbands, you know. Um, but to limit what women are supposed to do to that one passage uh, limits beyond what, what the rest of scripture teaches. Um, you have a number of places where Paul encourages believers and tells them how they should admonish and encourage each other, right? Which is not just, you know, from the pastors, but as believers, what we do with each other, um, Colossians 3 talks about teaching and admonishing one another, right? This is part of who we are as believers. And, you know, and you have the example of uh, Priscilla and Aquila uh, correcting Apollo, right? Now it was done privately. It wasn't done publicly, but still, I mean, it's she was teaching theology alongside her husband to help someone understand, you know? I, I don't see how anyone can practically um, live their lives without teaching and discussing theology as it's part of your life. Um, it, it, it just makes no sense to what scripture tells us is, is supposed to be part of our lives that, you know, even going back to you know, Deuteronomy that we're supposed to teach our children as we get up and as we go along, that's just our lives. We teach theology in all of what we do, in all of our conversations, um, the restrictions that scripture gives about uh, women, uh, when Paul says, I don't allow a woman to teach or have authority over a man, you know, there's teaching with authority, which is a, a, a position of ordination, right? If we're talking about theology on the internet or if we're writing, even writing a book on theology and a man reads it, that's not an inappropriate, it's not inappropriate. We're not um, in a position of authority over this man and teaching him, you know, it's, it's, it's different. Right. Um, it's, it's part of the encouragement that we are to, to do with each other as believers. Yeah. If I, if I had to worry about, um, I mean, cause this idea that men can't learn from women in any setting concerns me mm -hmm. because it is that idea that um, that I've talked to you about, Rachel, and I believe we talked with Amy Bird about it, that when we visited a church and went to lunch at the pastor's house and he said, well, my, when my sons turn 12, I take over the education and the discipline. Mm -hmm. And it's that it's that idea. Mm -hmm. And and I would say that somebody who doesn't think that a man should learn from women at all would have to be careful with their own sons at a certain age. And now I think that's completely unbiblical, but I think that that's where that comes from. Mm -hmm. Oh, and that's a regular discussion um, in within patriarchy, within homeschooling circles. Is at what point you know can you continue to can you continue to teach your sons? Um, if if Proverbs uh, is written not to small children but to more grown um, and more teenage or young adult men, right? In particular, when it's addressed to my son, listen to 
uh, my instruction. It, it tells sons to listen to the instruction of their mothers. You know, it doesn't seem to put a time limit on it. You know, um, uh, Timothy learned from his mother and grandmother. It doesn't say that only to a particular age. You know, I, I think there is plenty of places in scripture that men learn from women and that's not inappropriate. In fact, I was thinking my husband recently told my 21-year-old, respect your mother. He <laughs> 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 was being disrespectful. And that, there was one other thing I thought of when you were talking, because I think this is just one more that I think there's a misunderstanding. And that is whether or not you can confront your husband of sin. I've seen this over and over where women will come in the group and ask that. And there, there are women that say, absolutely not. Is my husband my brother in Christ? Yes. yes he is. Are we told to confront our brothers when they're in sin? Yes. yes. Then I think that there must be, I mean, I think we should do it gently. I think we should do it respectfully, you know, as we should with anyone. You know, we should be careful about how we do it and what we're doing. Uh, and certainly not in a nitpicky, I want to make you different and just, you know, it's a preference thing. But if my husband is in, in, rebellious sin against God, because I love him, I should say something to him. Right. Well, I've seen them use the, um, that they may be one without a word passage. Um, that, that passage is particularly speaking to um, women who were married to unbelieving men. Right. Exactly. And about not being a nuisance to them in trying to convert them. Yep. Yeah, I know. And, this, right. uh, a woman tried to explain that it was for all women, not, you know. Even, it has a very particular application that Paul's right, getting exactly. to. Right. Yes. So, and I think that's even, I, you know, in, in our churches, in Presbyterian churches, we, we follow Matthew 18 if somebody mm -hmm. is in unrepentant sin. And that does go for your husband, too. And if your husband remains unrepentant, then you go to your pastor. Absolutely. I mean, that's, and you know. But it is because it's because we love them. It's because we are um, because we care about them. And as believers, because we care about their relationship with God, we can't just let it go. Um, it, it isn't it isn't loving and it isn't um, respectful to just let them continue along a path. I mean, if if, if we look at our husband and we're like, you you have cancer, and if you don't go to the doctor, you're going to die, right? It's not love to be quiet on that either. It's the same. It's spiritual cancer is no different. Right. Yeah, exactly. I just wanted to make sure we address that because I've, sure. I've seen this um, mm -hmm. over and over. And I think this is w ways in which patriarchy has influenced our circles. And I Absolutely. think what, what I have seen is in reform circles specifically is having been in, you know, I was in homeschool circles from before I was married. I, I uh, worked for a, a family, a homeschooling family um, before I had my own kids that from our church. And mm -hmm. I, and I think that because I think that some of these ideas are, attractive to homeschoolers and I think have influenced those communities and then we're in those communities and then 
influence us. Plus, we've seen in reform circles these being embraced. Absolutely. That's where I first came across it, too. Well, we're going to link a lot of, of Rachel's articles where she has written about this in this week's episodes. So for a further study, go and read her articles because she's written several good articles which address this. And if you have any more questions, you can feel free to email us. Well, we will be right back. So I have a yeah about that. I don't know if it's really a yeah about that because it's kind of hard to even understand what it means. And I'm not going to say who said it. I'm going to read it. And I think there's a typo in there. So I'm going to actually, there's an and, and I think it's supposed to be an. So I'm going to change that part. But if culture conforming jellyfish float together. <laughs> hey, I have not even done yet. <laughs> How am I supposed to read this if you're laughing oh, already? I can't believe you went there. Okay, keep going. <laughs> keep going. <laughs> okay. You probably saw, saw it yeah. on the social media platform which it was posted. If culture conforming jellyfish float together, it is an accident. But free-spirited Countercultural Christian dolphins swim in symphonic <laughs> pods. I don't even know. I don't even know. I think. <clears throat> I think this is an. <laughs> I'm really struggling here. <laughs> I actually had no warning. <laughs> I just. Wasn't, is... I wasn't prepared for that tweet, so I'm just struggling to to say peace serious right now. <laughs> you know what? The um the responses on the responses tweet, are so funny. Um, one said, are are you on some kind of medical marijuana? <laughs> Another person said, sounds like somebody's had some margaritas. <laughs> <laughs> so that is a real tweet from a real modern person. And we're not and we're not modern like, person. We're not slamming but it's not a great tweet. Um, okay, so let's unpack that. Culture conforming okay. jellyfish. So these are jellyfish. <laughs> um, jellyfish who are, e I guess he's kind of saying like, so culture conforming jellyfish float together. So I yeah. think it's people that are easily influenced and conform to the culture. Yep. And they want they don't want to look bad or anything. Okay. Right. So he says so, if there if the culture conforming jellyfish float together, it is an accident. It is. It is an well, accident. Well, he this is where the typo is. It actually says it is and accident, but I think it's supposed to be an accident, yeah, is my too. guess. So that that's so it's an accident if the culture conforming jellyfish float together. Okay. Um, and maybe it's because I'm not exactly sure. Why. Yeah. Okay. I'm not sure. Get to the dolphin part because I think okay. I understand the dolphin part. But free spirited, countercultural mm -hmm. Christian dolphins swim mm -hmm. in symphonic pods. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm not sure about the free spirit part, but if we're living biblically, well, a free-spirited, free-spirited um, would not be conforming to the culture. Oh, I see. 
But I don't know if I describe a biblical Christian as free. I know that's why it's a little. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's leave that part out. If you just and, said and, countercultural Christian dolphins, but what's yeah. a free spirited counterculture? There's too much yeah. going on here. I'm, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. He means counter like countercultural Christians, which is a biblical Christian is going to be countercultural, right? Are going to get along more peacefully with one another and have greater unity because we actually have something to be unified around. Whereas if we were a jellyfish, just trying to conform to the culture, we're kind of like jellyfish have no spines, right? You know, we're like, like we're okay. They're just going okay. along. They're just going along. They're just going. They're just going along. So, although they don't, I don't, they're not going to. I don't know how it's an accident that the culture conforming jellyfish float together. I actually think that that happens very naturally. That the culture conforming jellyfish yeah. kind of find their way to one another. They're very outspoken. Yeah. I'm thinking of the people that are adamantly for, um, you know, like gay preachers in the church or, th you know, things like that. Like they're very, they're very vocal, you know, part of the church. Which ones? The free spirited countercultural Christian dolphins? No, the, the ones oh. that are going with the, the culture, the ones that okay. are like, we should have, you know, we should Just, have. So do you think the ones going um, with the culture are the very PC ones? Yeah. Like, every, yeah. Everything. Yeah. PC. And with every tide that come like our culture. I mean, there's like a new thing every week, right? Like, yeah. A new type of person that needs rights that we're forgetting about. And, and so they're like bringing that in. Um, they're very vocal about it. Whereas us, I think we're the dolphins. Right. Because we're, we're counterculture. Well, mm -hmm. I, I think he's saying the culture conforming jellyfish are the non-Christians maybe because he, he says mm -hmm. that the free spirited countercultural Christian dolphins. So um, it, I think it's just kind of confusing. I think yes. there's not enough information here mm -hmm. to I think fully understand. And I, I am all about animal metaphors and I, I love sea creatures. Um, but I don't know if this one was thought through quite enough. I actually think I agree with like what he's trying to say. I think, um, although it's a little unclear, um, but <clears throat> it was just hard to get to what they were trying to say there. Yeah. I mean, we should be countercultural. Like someone, someone responding thought it had something to do with his insisting women aren't smart enough to teach seminary, which of course turned into, no, that's not what he said. He didn't say women aren't smart enough to teach seminary, you know, and, mm. but I'm not sure. I'm like, I'm not sure how that has anything to do with it. And what, what he said is that he didn't think that women um, should be teaching seminary. Sure. He, didn't he never said that. anything smart. Yeah. yeah. But I think, you know, that actually brings up another interesting point is sometimes people hear things differently mm -hmm. where uh, you'll say something and someone will, will take it a different way yeah. than what, than what you intended. I've had that happen. Oh yeah. 
you know, so women shouldn't teach t seminary. Oh, so you're saying women aren't smart enough to teach seminary? Right. Well, that's yeah. not, not have what you, we said. Have you seen this interview with this news person and Jordan Peterson? Yes. Do you, have you seen that? It's like that. So like, what you're saying? So yeah. So what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Everything he said, she's like, so what you're saying is you hate all women, you know? And he's like, no. That's, that's not, not what I'm saying. saying at all. It's kind of like that. And so. if you haven't seen that interview, go to YouTube, type oh in Jordan God. Peterson. It's probably one of the first things that comes up. It, and if you, it's become infamous in, yeah, in a think, very short amount of time. I think a lot more people know who Jordan Peterson is now. I mean, I've uh -huh. known who Jordan Peterson is for a while, and I enjoy yeah. him. But I think he's gotten a lot He's taken a lot off. of popularity. I saw that his that. his newest book is like a bestseller now. So he's really really yeah. Oh, I see that. Yeah, I bought it. I haven't read it yet, but I oh, well, you have to report back to the mm -hmm. LGLs and and Jordan Peterson's latest book. Well, um, we have we have some other great episodes coming up. We are going to in the next couple of weeks dig in a little deeper to women in the church because it's been. This issue about women teaching seminary has been very interesting uh, out there, mm -hmm. and and it's kind of not it's not should should I I mean I think Ashley and I said a couple of weeks ago we don't necessarily agree with the person that says you know if a seminary doesn't have women teachers don't go there I think seminary not to have women professors but the question is can they can women teach at seminary in any way. Mm -hmm. and, and what things can a woman do in a church? We've even been talking on social media about whether or not men should listen to our podcast. And mm -hmm. so we're going to kind of talk about that because you know that Ashley and I believe that only men should be pastors and in authority in the church and that our husbands are in authority and leaders in the home. And mm -hmm. so what about things outside of that? We're going to kind of look at the passages in scripture and, and talk about that. Yep. Looking forward to it. Yes, me too. And then we also are going to be, have some other ones we'll be planning soon. Sabbath and uh, a school. If, We're going to do a, one about school. Oh, schooling. schooling. Yes. Schooling. Yeah. And yeah. How, what options are there for schooling of Christians, mm -hmm. you know, is public school an acceptable option? Is homeschooling the only option? Well, so, actually, we're going to tell you the only acceptable way to school your kids. So just wait for that episode where is we to go to school in California and have <laughs> Ashley teach them. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know about that, but <laughs> um, and if you have any topic ideas for us, you can reach out to one of us on social media. You can give us a shout out on Twitter. You can email us at theologygals at gmail.com. We love getting ideas. Or if you have an idea for a yeah about that segment or anything that you'd like us to talk to, or if you have a question for us, please feel free to reach out to us. So thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you next week.